This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Dr. Kara ong Whaley, Associate Director at JMU Civic. This episode features the audio from JMU Civic's virtual town hall with Libertarian Party presidential candidate, Dr. Joe Jorgensen. We discuss a wide range of issues, including the size and role of the federal government, military and national defense, healthcare, immigration, the COVID-19 pandemic, criminal justice reform, the environment, and much more. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Abe Goldberg. I serve as executive director of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University in the beautiful Shenandoah Valley of Virginia. I'm joined by my colleagues today, Dr. Kara ong and Kyle Ford. We have a very special guest joining us, Dr. Joe Jorgensen, Libertarian Party presidential candidate for this 30-minute town hall. The James Madison Center for Civic Engagement's mission is to educate and inspire people to address public issues and cultivate a just and inclusive democracy. We are a nonpartisan entity designed to elevate voices. Dr. Jorgensen, I would love to welcome you to our program. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks. It's an honor to be here. It's an honor to have you. And I'm going to jump right into the first question, if that's okay. Um, Dr. Jorgensen, you and others have been prevented from joining the presidential debates. In fact, that's how we initially got connected to you. Um, Can you speak about the effects of not being able to participate in the debates? And as it relates to voter knowledge, choice, and participation, and why do you think it's important for you and others to have opportunities to speak in forums with the other presidential candidates? Well, I've been going around telling everybody hashtag fake debates because they are fake debates if not all the choices are put out there. That a lot of people that I've been talking to have been saying, oh, wow, you mean I don't have to vote for Trump or Biden? I had no idea I had another choice. And so uh, the only way that people, uh, the average person uh, who doesn't keep up with politics as a hobby as many of us do, the only way that they know that there's even another option out there is to watch the debates because that's how a lot of people find out about the choices. And what we have right now, you know, the media has been calling them two old rich white guys. I would say that that's the least important part. The most important part is that both of them want to spend our money. Both of them want to make decisions for us. Neither one wants to bring the troops home. And I, it's, it's just a tragedy that we've got two people with completely the same idea who want to take control over our lives and yet they're acting as though there's this big difference between them. The only way to get somebody really different on there is to get me on the stage. So, um, and, and I'd like to mention that a lot of the things, a lot of the important things that should be talked about, they're not talking about at all, like the high debt that's going to hurt young people because they're the ones who are going to be uh, left with all this. And neither one of them have a health care plan that's going to reduce health care costs. Thank you. 
Thank you, Dr. Jorgensen. Um, you recently told supporters at a rally in Durham that the federal government should only be involved in part of the court, the, the federal government should only be involved in part of the court system and the military, and that's it. How would you go about reducing the size of the federal government? And how would you manage public expectations um, and what the public has come to expect of the federal government as you go about reducing its size? Well, first of all, I would veto any bill that increases spending, borrowing deficits, or debt ceilings. One of the things I'd like to get rid of is the myth that uh, Ronald Reagan gave us small government. A lot of people say, we need to go back to the days of Ronald Reagan. What they don't realize is that he increased spending year after year after year for eight straight years. And if you talk to the people close to him, they would say, well, what do you expect? The Congress uh, never gave us a balanced budget. They never cut spending. But he never said, no, that's not good enough. Sharpen your pencil, take it back. It was, you know, they'd hand him a budget and he'd go, okay, I'll sign it. Um, I'm a teacher. I uh, know when I see a, a bad paper, I know how to grade it. <laughs> and I would grade any increase in taking more decision-making out of our hands. I would grade that as an F. I would refuse to sign it. I would send it back to Congress and tell them to sign it. And I would just reduce or eliminate as many departments as are necessary, such as the Department of Education. Education is a local issue, and it should be decided among parents, teachers, and students, and not the federal government. And we see that right now with the coronavirus, where President Trump is encouraging everybody to open up. How about we leave it up to the local people? The needs of the people in rural Appalachia, much different than the needs of people in downtown New York City or, you know, Arizona, Alabama, whatever. Let them decide and let's get the federal government out of that and we reduce spending in the meantime. It'd be different if the spending helped us, but it's not. Taking our money is just making things worse. Uh, Dr. Jorgensen, as part of your platform, you've said you would turn America into one giant Switzerland, armed and neutral. The United States spends nearly $1 trillion on national defense, including the base budget for the Department of Defense, overseas contingency funds, and supporting federal agencies, including the Department of Affairs. What reforms would you make to the military and national defense? I would bring the troops home. There are two issues here, <clears throat> excuse me. One is spending and one is safety. It would be one thing if spending all of this money and having the troops everywhere on the world made us more safe, but as we saw with 9-11, it's making us less safe. We're in 150 different countries and we spend more on military than the next seven countries combined. We could get rid of, we could cut the military spending by two thirds and still be tied with uh, the highest spending countries. And I'd like to point out just from our safety standpoint, if I could indulge in a story here, in the early 80s, I was driving, I was driving into a parking lot and this older gentleman came over to me and was just glaring at me and I wasn't sure what I had done wrong. And then as he gets closer, I can see he's looking at my car and which was Italian, um, by the way, not a Maserati or Ferrari, but he looked at my car and he said, how dare you drive an Italian car? I'm a World War II veteran. Do you not know what Italy did to us in World War II? Now, of course, you know, I thanked him for his service. I, I didn't want to argue with him. But what I wanted to say is, you know what? If we're buying cars from Italy, 
they're not going to bomb us. The reason we got into World War II is Japan bombed us, but they're not going to bomb us now with all the Toyotas and Hondas we buy from them. You tend to not bomb your best customers, so we just need to be good neighbors. And last, with the spending, we keep hearing how great France is and how they get five-week vacations. Well, you know what? Maybe if we weren't paying for their military, we could have five-week vacations too. So we need to stop spending. We need to stop supporting everybody else's military and just support our own and, and have a strong military for our country. Dr. Jorgensen, with questions about the high cost of coverage, and who and what are covered, healthcare remains a major challenge in the United States and a major issue in this election. How would you reform healthcare at the federal level? And how would your healthcare plan address caring for those in greatest need? If there is one message I could get to every American out there is that we do not have a free market system. I keep hearing other politicians say, well, the free market hasn't worked, so we need single payer. We haven't had a free market system in a century. And if we brought the free market back, we would have lower healthcare costs. And just to give you an analogy, uh, and, and by the way, let me mention the, the way that, uh, what keeps insurance costs down is that insurance typically only pays for unexpected costs. So so imagine if your car insurance paid for not in addition to accidents what if your car insurance paid for gas oil car washes first of all you would have absolutely no reason to shop around for the lowest price gas uh, in fact you might go to the highest price gas station because all you do is you pay your little five dollar copay and maybe get free coffee or something while you wait and the gas stations consequently would have absolutely no reason to compete on price because they don't have to because they would just simply pass the costs along to the car insurance companies and that that's exactly what has happened with healthcare costs. That we, um, you know, we have no reason to shop around for the best price, and they have no reason to compete. They simply pass the costs along to the insurance companies, and we're the ones left footing the bill. And the two most uh, free market systems that we have in our healthcare are cosmetic surgery and LASIK surgery because people do pay for them, pay for it themselves. And so we've got competition, we've got advertising, and we've got prices that have gone down dramatically over the last 20 years and quality has gone up. So what would I would what I would do for the veterans is I would do something similar to the state of Indiana and Singapore, which is I would put the dollars, you know, instead of giving them the VA healthcare system, which by the way, when I hear Medicare for all, what I think is VA hospital for all. Why would anybody want a monopolistic system that does not work? And why do people who normally hate corporation, uh, uh, I'm sorry, cor uh, corporate monopolies, why do they think a government monopoly is okay? It's, it's the same system where people aren't competing to give you the best quality and service. And if you don't like the service, where do you go? There's nowhere to go. So what I would do is I would put the dollars actually into the VA, uh, into the veterans' pockets and let them go out and spend it. I'd also do that, by the way, for Medicare and Medicaid, put the dollars in the people's pockets, let them go out and compete, and let's get the prices starting to go down. Dr. Jorgensen, immigration is another major national issue that is highly politicized. You have said that, quote, the freedom to travel, the, the freedom to trade and travel are fundamental to human liberty. 
What is broken in our immigration system from your perspective and how would you address immigration reform? Gosh, I would say just about everything is broken. And I would like to point out I'm a little biased because three of my four grandparents are immigrants. And it was my uh, grandmother who brought to me the love of this country by explaining to me how great it is in America that you can choose what you want to do. You can choose to work more hours and benefit from it as opposed to the other countries. So I would open up our borders to the way it was back when my grandparents immigrated. A lot of people don't realize that we had open borders before the 1920s and we had pretty, not only did we not have problems, but it helped make America great and what we are today. And there's a lot of misinformation in the media. There's, first of all, they, they talk about how it's a drain on our system. First of all, our GP, GDP goes up with immigrants and there are laws in place that prevent people from coming over and just immediately getting on the, um, you know, on welfare. Many programs have a five-year waiting list. And the other thing is uh, crime that if you listen to some of the mainstream media, it sounds like immigrants purposely come over here to drive drunk and kill us. Well, let me point out that it doesn't matter where you're from, people do commit crimes. However, people who are born on foreign soil actually commit fewer crimes per capita than people born on American soil. So I say, let's bring uh, immigrants in and have an even stronger country than we have now. Dr. Jorgensen, we're in the midst of a global pandemic that's led to government-imposed restrictions. Do you think the federal government has offered an adequate response? Uh, what would you have done differently, and how would you have directed states to respond differently? They offered a horrible response. President Trump made two key mistakes in the beginning. First of all, he did not get rid of the roadblocks in the federal government. Uh, in the FDA to get testing done. And in fact, here's one example. When people ask me why I'm running for president, I say because government is too big, too bossy, too nosy, too intrusive. But the worst part is they end up hurting the very people they're trying to help. And the FDA is a perfect example of that. So there were dozens of testing kits that people in our country could have used, but the FDA and the CDC blocked them. And if you look at South Korea, they had extensive testing, so they knew who could go out and work and who could who needed to stay home. And so they quickly got ahead of the curve. Meanwhile, we, um, we had our cases skyrocket. And because of that, we lost tens of millions of jobs. Many of them are not coming back. The second thing Donald Trump did was he stood on the stage with Dr. Fauci and he said, uh, if you don't have symptoms, don't get tested. And yet at that time, we knew, in fact, they were saying that over 50% of the people with the virus had no symptoms at all. So that's when you need the testing is when you don't know if you have the disease or not, because if you have no symptoms, you could be spreading it to people. So once again, the government tries to fix problems by giving us the CDC and the FDA, and yet it just gets in the way. More than 1.5 million drug arrests are made every year in the United States, with many being for possession only. Drug arrests have led to unprecedented levels of incarceration and marginalization of tens of millions of Americans. And I always wonder who reads to their kids at night. You have emphasized decriminalizing drugs. How would you change federal drug policy 
What impacts do you foresee at the state level? You know, we, our country has basically turned this into kind of a boogeyman situation. And what I ask people is, when was the last time you heard of a liquor store owner going up and down the halls trying to push gin on high school students? Or when's the last time you heard of a vodka addict trying to break into houses because, you know, in order to support a vodka habit? And when's the last time you heard of two liquor store owners having a shootout over the best uh, corner to deal alcohol. You know, that those are ridiculous. What we have now is we have a prohibition problem, not a drug problem. That alcohol prohibition did not work well in the 1920s and drug prohibition isn't working now. So what we need to do is we need to uh, immediately deschedule all drugs so that users are not subject uh, to any of these penalties uh, that they shouldn't be subject to anyway. And also on day one, I would pardon and free all nonviolent drug offenders. Anyone else, and by the way, anyone else convicted of a victimless crime as well. If there is no victim, there is no crime. Dr. Jorgensen, as part of your platform on criminal justice reform, you have called for defunding the police from the federal level, um, but to let localities decide on local departments. Can you share what policies you would change at the federal level, uh, what you hope to accomplish with these changes, and what implications might be for the localities and police departments? Well, let me point out, um, oh, I apologize from phone. Can you hear it? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, it says my internet connection is unstable. Can you hear me okay? Okay, uh, so thank you. I, I would like to point out that crime is a local issue, that assault, robbery, um, burglary, those are all local issues and should be dealt with the local police and that policing should be decided among local police, the mayor, city council, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, taxpayers, voters, and they should decide what their policing policy should be. And it back in the olden days when I was younger, we had, you know, the, the beat cop who knew everybody's name, where on the, you know, we see on the sides of the cars now, community to serve and protect. What we have right now is we've got the federal government basically militarizing the police. So now the police no longer have that mentality. Now it's more of an us versus them soldier mentality. And what I would do is I would put policing back into the uh, back into the hands of the local police. So what we need to do, as I just mentioned, is of course end the failed and immoral war on drugs. We need to defund the DEA. We need to end no-knock raids, like the one on Brianna, uh, Brianna Taylor, which usually only kills innocent people. We need to end asset forfeiture. And if we do all this, our streets will be safer for our kids. Um, those suffering from serious disease will be able to get the relief they need from the medical applications of marijuana. It'll be far easier for people dealing with drug addiction to help to, uh, for them to get the help they need. And police will return to their mission to serve and protect. The police, you know, the overwhelming majority of police are good people. They want to do their job. The federal government is just getting in the way. You're on mute, Kyle. How would your policies address the way law enforcement interacts with the people they've sworn to protect? 
Well, again, with, with what we have right now is Americans in some cities kind of feel like enemy combatants. Uh, we've got police departments with tanks and tear gas. And if they didn't have that, they wouldn't have that um, us versus them mentality. And I'd like to point out, it, 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 this is a frustrating part to me, and, and this is the biggest problem with the federal government, that the federal government, it's basically people off in Washington making decisions for local people that they shouldn't be making. If the average person, let's say, goes to the voting uh, booth and there's a referendum that says, uh, do you want to, do you want to have your taxes raised so that we can buy a tank for a police department? You know, the average person would say, no, I, you know, I'd rather keep that extra money, go out to a nice restaurant, maybe take a nicer vacation, whatever. But instead, the federal government takes our money and then gives us what we don't want. Because, you know, the, the average police department, if somebody says, hey, do you want a free tank? Do you want tear gas? Do you want free training and extra money? Uh, they're going to say, sure, it's our money anyway. And besides, we don't want those people in Alabama, you know, or those people in Wyoming, we don't want them to get it, so we'll take it. So again, what we've got is kind of a soldier mentality, and I don't want to be at war with other countries around the world, and I certainly don't want to be at war with uh, our own citizens. Uh, federal debt, as a share of our economy, hit 98% in 2020, and it is expected to exceed the size of our economy very soon. The U.S. debt's about $26 trillion and, and rising. What would you do to address the nation's uh, rising debt and deficit? Well, let me tell you, if I'm elected president, my veto pen is going to need a lot of extra ink. Uh, irresponsible practices of the federal government uh, because of that, every child owns, or I'm sorry, owes an average of over $60,000 from the moment they're born. So I would veto any bill that increases spending, borrowing, um, and so forth. And I would first audit and then end the Federal Reserve so that they can't print any money. Uh, what happens, especially to our senior citizens who are on a fixed budget, is the government prints extra money so that devalues the dollar. In fact, since the Federal Reserve came about, our dollar has been devalued by 96%. So if you're on a fixed income and the, and the uh, government prints more money, now your money is worth less. And that is immoral. And I would eliminate any departments or executive agencies uh, that aren't necessary. I pretty much get rid of any department that we've gotten uh, recently and just keep the original ones. So I would like to point out that it's time for the government to balance its checkbook the same way American families do. We're getting some great questions um, from our um, viewers on Facebook Live. I'd like to ask one um, specifically about reforming Congress. Dr. Jorgensen, what is your position on term limits? And are there other reforms to Congress that you would consider leading on as president? Yeah, I do come on 
I do come down on the side of term limits. However, I don't see it as the be all end all that a lot of people do because there is an argument to be made that with term limits, now that just puts more power into the parties and they would just basically um, move people in and out and the parties would have more power. What I want to do is I want to reduce government so much that people don't even want to be in Congress simply for the power or money, that I want to take the power and money out of their hands. So the only way they would want to uh, return to uh, Washington would be to actually be a servant, which is the whole idea. You know, our government was set up, the, we, we, we learned in school the term, you know, citizen statesman, but we don't really think of what that means. What that means is you go to Washington for a couple months, you pass laws, and then you go home and live under those laws. And that's one of the biggest problems I have with Joe Biden is that he's been in, in uh, government for 47 years, and he's never had to live under a single one of his laws because what we have right now is we've got Animal Farm all over again with an elite few in Washington, never leaving Washington, making rules for the rest of us, and they don't even have to live under the, the rules that they make. Dr. Jorgensen, we have another great question from Facebook Live. Um, what would you do to address mental health issues in our country? And actually, if well, I can couple that, we also had a veteran comment, and Kyle is also an, an Army veteran, um, and, and some questions also specifically on veteran care. Okay, part of the question cut out, but let me say, Kyle, thank you for your service. I really appreciate that. And uh, people are surprised to find out that I am getting a lot of support from veterans. People say, well, that makes no sense. Somebody who's a veteran would want bigger military, right? But I've had veterans tell me, you know what? I saw things over there that nobody should see. And I, over there, I can see that we shouldn't be there. Um, so your original question, I'm sorry, because part of it cut out. So sorry. Um, we have a question about what you would do to address mental health issues in our country. Okay. okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 no. Um, I'm I'm in a hotel. <laughs> I'm, I'm the campaign trail. Uh, so, and by the way, yes, for the viewers, I'm I'm in Juneau, Alaska. There's a beautiful mountain in the background, but it means my internet connection isn't quite as well. So, my apologies. Uh, I'd like to point out that I actually have uh, a master's in social work degree, in addition to my PhD in industrial organizational psychology. So, I understand the problems with mental health. And I'd like to point out that part of the way that we're here is the from what the government did to, to begin with, which is, uh, and this is this goes back to President Kennedy. What they said was, you know what, this is inhumane to house people in uh, these mental, you know, what they call mental asylums or mental hospitals. So what we're going to do is we're going to have uh, community centers, and we're going to release the patients. And you know, notice they said release because the patients really didn't have much say. We're going to release the patients and let them live at home and go to community centers. Well, in typical government fashion, and again, government typically hurts the very people they're trying to help. Typical government fashion, what they did was they let the people out of the uh, mental hospitals, as I called them before the community centers were built. And if you look, something like a third of the homeless um, do have some kind of mental illness. So, um, and, and I would like to point out that in the United States, the largest 
group of people with mental illness is the Cook County Jail in uh, Chicago. So by trying to help them, the government being humane, now all they've done is now they're locked back up, only now they're in a prison, which is probably worse than any mental hospital they were in before. So what we need to do is get the government out of it and let the communities handle it, but not in the not by um, slashing government spending immediately and just sending people back. Uh, charity can do a much better job than the government. And something that really irks me is I hear people like Bill Gates or Oprah Winfrey say, "You know what? Um, I wish the government took more of my money." You know. Well, Bill Gates uh, started the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and a lot of people have admired the work they've done around the world. Oprah Winfrey, of course, opened, you know, famously opened the school in Africa for young girls and has been using her money for good. So my question to them and all these other rich people is, if you think that the federal government does such a good job with programs, why don't you simply turn that money over to the federal government and let them run these programs instead of you having your own foundation. So it's clear that the government does not do a good job and we need to turn it over to compassionate Americans where there's more accountability instead of the federal government where there's no accountability and they tend to do things backwards. Dr. Jorgensen, um, recently we've obviously seen uh, some acknowledgement of police issues in America uh, one of those issues that a lot of people have seen is qualified immunity. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Very simple. We need to end it. That, uh, and, and again, I very much respect, um, it's a, okay. I very much respect uh, the work that the police do. And I think that they don't get the praise that they deserve. However, it, in any profession, there are some people who are inept and the way they've set it up with qualified immunity is that if you are an inept police officer uh, you cannot be held to the fullest extent of the law and that's wrong that they they still need to live under the same laws that we do dr jorgensen we have just one more question from facebook live uh, before abe has a final question for you um, but uh, from our viewers on facebook they're wondering what if you could talk about your position on climate change and more broadly your environmental policies if you just take out a globe and look you'll see wherever there's big government there's more pollution if you look and see where there's less government there's less pollution because with innovation, we come out ahead. And I would like to actually just illustrate how the free market can do a better job than the government with a story, which is, or an example rather, which is the Gulf oil spill. And a lot of people pointed to that as a reason that we needed to have uh, government because look, the, the private companies, they'll go out there and they'll just ruin the environment. But what they don't know is that the federal government put a liability cap so that if they did destroy the environment as they did, they get let off the hook. Now in a private market, what would happen in a free market, the company would have had to gone to an insurance company and paid the full insurance, not be given a free pass by the government. And the insurance company would have said one of two things. They would have said, you know, 
that's too risky. We're not going to insure you, in which case they really wouldn't have been able to be out there drilling because they couldn't risk going bankrupt. Or they would have said, you know what, it's risky. Uh, but so tell you what, we'll insure you, but we want to make sure that we don't have to pay a claim. So we're going to go out, we're going to invest the site every week, every month, whatever, because we can, you know, we, 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 you know, we're an insurance company. We don't like to pay out. And there would have been a profit motive to help keep the environment clean. But what we had instead was we had the federal government saying, oh, no problem, go out there. We'll just let the taxpayers foot the bill. So once again, there is no um, accountability. And what we have right now is we've got government subsidizing the fossil fuels, which do, you know, it's clear that carbon in the atmosphere is not good. If we had a level playing field and we stopped the government subsidies, I think that nuclear power would take off. And now we have such much better technology than we did before. Even Rolls-Royce, luxury car maker has come up with a nuclear power reactor that's about one-tenth the size of the old ones. So we need to let people work for us to come up with better solutions. Dr. Jorgensen, we are a nonpartisan center affiliated with James Madison University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Uh, we, we host guests from across the political uh, spectrum to share their views, their ideas, in hopes that we're creating a more informed citizenry. Um, thank you for joining us. We do have a final question that we ask all of our guests that I would like to pose to you. In your view, what would you do to strengthen our democracy? Uh, what I would do is give people another choice because what we have right now is not a choice and people are only being given, as I said before, fake debates. We've got two people who both want to take uh, decision-making power away from you. They both want to spend your money. Neither one wants to bring the troops home. And I say that you know best what's best for you. And I would like to quote an economist <laughs> that we should vote with our feet or vote with our dollars rather than going to the ballot box and we all vote and some of us don't get what we want. How about we each get to make our decision? And if you would, if you'd let me indulge in one other example, I, I point to education as an example. Let's say you want to send your kid to a prayer, a, a school of prayer and your neighbor doesn't. What you have to do is you have to battle it out. You have to each support your own candidate, spend money for your candidate, encourage your friends to vote for your candidate, put yard signs out and then go to the ballot box. And one of you is going to win, one of you is going to lose. And what I would like to see is to have where we have the freedom we to make our own decisions daily so that uh, if I want to send my kid to a school with prayer, my neighbor doesn't, we each get to make our own own decision. And a lot of people have asked, why is our country so poor? I think it's because so much goes to the federal government. Education, which is a local issue, shouldn't. Uh, education, crime, health care, retirement, all these things go through the federal government. So we have to be um, at odds with each other. So if less went through the government, we could be friends with our neighbors again because we wouldn't have a one size fits all, whether it's education, whether it's wearing a mask or whether it's retirement. Dr. Joe Jorgensen is the Libertarian Party presidential candidate. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining us here at JMU Civic, the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement. I want to wish you a safe um, campaign. 
uh, with all that's going on and, and my gratitude to you joining us. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks for getting the word out.